Welcome again to all those tuning in to the Southwest Climate Podcast, December edition. As always, I'm here with the uh, the Mike Crimmins. The Mike Crimmins. The Mike Crimmins. Capital T. The Mike. The Mike. <laughs> so, Mike, we have a lot to talk about again. We, do. Uh, we should review what's been going on in, in, in the climate for November. Maybe even step back a little bit and look at October as well, do a little recap and sort of progress through our, our customary topics here, which is a look at El Nino and then a look at uh, what's on what's on tap. But I got to say, uh, I got enough climate information. So I'd, I haven't in the past gone to YouTube or uh, uh, iTunes rather and, and looked for climate podcasts. <laughs> there aren't many of them. Really? Yeah. We I've have cornered the market on it. We've, and we're the only one that looks at the Southwest. Can you, <laughs> can you imagine that? I just, I can't believe there aren't 13 or 14 other ones that we're competing against. I think our, our days are numbered though, quite honestly. No, that's yeah. I think that we're gonna have the competing. That's a depressing Zach uh, and Mike in the morning um, podcast here. No, but really, I was actually kind of surprised because there's so much, particularly right now. I was looking for information on Paris, what's coming out of that, and there's so much good research now. There's only going to be uh, more research as this El Nino emerges and we begin to diagnose um, sort of the causes and consequences. We ha- we just had a special issue in the geophysical research letters that sort of catalog the the warming imprint on the California drought. So there's a yeah. ton. Golden State. Golden State, ton That's to right. talk about. But anyway, congratulations on that. I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's worth highlighting the fact that there aren't many podcasts out there talking about climate and particularly here in the Southwest. Okay, the other thing that we have to celebrate is we did hit another milestone in uh, November. November, the ENSO index, the ONI, forgetting the- Oceanic Nino index. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, reached its highest monthly value in the, in its history. And it's uh, instrumental record, right? Instrumental yep. record. So back, going back to about 1950, I think is when this one. Yep. 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 So so at least according to one index, um, this El Nino has surpassed the strength of the other two quote unquote super El Ninos or yep. Godzilla El Ninos. Anything, any way that you want to describe it. Yep. Um, of course, in other metrics, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, but in other metrics, still lagging slightly behind those those two but it is a top three it's been interesting to watch the news twitter all the social media on um, the new ways that we are watching this el nino event unfold by the minute sometimes with the microscope with the microscope i know and so now it is it's it's hitting the refresh button on your browser to see if the if the data changed and um and then yeah and then putting it into context so what's the oni value of the last hour um i i think it was it was about um a uh, little bit over 3.14. Wait a minute, that's pi, isn't it? No, never mind. So it had something to do with, with, with that. But people are paying attention to this El Nino with, uh, with uh, a microscope. It's super tempting because we have on our smartphone the ability to, um, in any activity that we're doing, walking across campus or uh, hopefully not driving your car, um, refreshing sea surface temperature data as you're driving across town, looking for that update. It's tempting, but I think it's it's a little bit misses kind of the point of, of what El Nino is and, and the fact that it is a, a seasonal climate phenomenon. And maybe we get a little bit too hung up on that. Yeah, we have to spread Vaseline over our lenses. <laughs> exactly, right. Yeah, you've got to look at it through a blurry. you got to look at those those high <clears throat> resolution through a blurry lens. Yeah, and I'm, I'm completely guilty of this because I do this probably to an a unhealthy degree of trying to uh, check these data and put them into context and wanting this. And I think it's important to have these things put into context. I think it's really interesting and useful to know that, you know, we, we topped this number that's 65 years old, that Oceanic Nino Index in that specific part of the ocean. But it really is, this is a, we're, we're looking at the final score of the game rather than, right. you know, what's, what's emerged in a particular quarter. So I, I jumped ahead. 
I think we want to get to El Nino and we talked. I followed your lead yeah, too. So. I know it was, it was uh, preempting where we're going to go. And there's, you know, we talk a lot about uh, El Nino and La Nina, not only because in climate speak, it has the most influence on uh, seasonal weather. Yeah. I mean, it's the biggest game in town. We're talking about Southwestern uh, weather from year to year. There are other players and nuances, but Who's your favorite. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think I have a favorite actually. <laughs> I, I have a lot of ones that I don't fully understand. I, I, that's me like too. I came yeah. across the quasi biennial. Oh, quasi biennial. Yeah. That's a good one. And yeah, that's I a good decided one. to steer away from that again. Um, <laughs> But the other reason, obviously, is because this is a superlative event, and it's actually fairly exciting from a, a science perspective, being able to look at this, for me particularly, having not experienced the two other super El Ninos, all of the, the, the scientific uh, efforts, activities that are going on, and, and even the activities that are going on at, this, at the sort of planning and preparedness level. Uh, FEMA, just yesterday, I believe, had their... They had a scenario planning exercise, a Western scenario planning exercise that was particularly focused on floods within the context of this El Nino. Yeah, absolutely. So really, I mean, taking some of the lessons learned from those past events and actually trying to apply them in this, this current context. This is an exciting time. I mean, because it's, it's one of these magnitudes of events that you would only expect to see, you know, based on sort of past variability a, a couple of times in a lifetime. Right. So, yeah, I think that I think it, that's why we've got we this have to milk this. Yeah, absolutely right. I want to. We'd be doing injustice if we didn't know. Exactly. This. I'm kind of slow walking this yeah. whole thing, and 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 I think that that's is part of the temptation of wanting to refresh your browser and look at every particular weather pattern, attribute it to an El Nino or not. But but it again, that's I think where things get a little bit confusing. So in a way, the hypersensitivity and paying attention is actually a good thing. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think so. I I, I don't know. I think it, it's it's like a. We now have the ability to look at so much information and data. It's it's all, it kind of cuts both ways, right? I mean, the ability that you can follow really interesting posts on Twitter and new updates through blogs and to the minute where people are analyzing this stuff, it gets a little noisy. Right. I think, and I think that that that's where it's been. Um, even Weather watching. happens. <laughs> Weather happens. That's what my uh, T-shirt says that I actually have on today. Weather happens. Yeah, I think that you can sort through the news articles right now that are sort of trying to piece piece together. Well, why is the Pacific Northwest flooding, and why is you know this happening here? And it becomes difficult, I think, for the layperson to know. Well, what, what exactly is going on? Right, and there is a tendency to try to associate every event with having an ENSO impact. Yeah, I mean, and that's our temptation now with everything related to the climate is some kind of attribution. If it's not attribution to Climate change at a really big, big scale. Now it's attribution to uh, a climate phenomenon, and it's it's the same issue, kind of right. kind of similar. And they're important. It's important to do, but maybe Absolutely. maybe yeah. not so much in real time. Well, it's hard to do it, if not impossible to do it in real time, yeah. but super important to do it in um, sort of retrospect. Okay, so again, I, I wanted to step back. Let's uh, just recap the last couple months to where we are today. Talk a little bit about atmospheric circulation patterns that were set up to to explain a little bit of the, the precipitation and temperature pattern that we've received. So uh, we'll, we'll go back to the start of the water year, October 1. October in Arizona and New Mexico was a fairly wet month. Actually, I'm yeah. looking at the precipitation ranks out of uh, 121, Arizona ticked in at uh, the 110th wettest on record. So what's that, like the 11th or 12th wettest on record? Yeah. And, and um, New Mexico was 10th wettest on record. And temperature for October was close to its 
record warmth out of 121 years. So it ranked 113 in Arizona, 118. And then if you fast forward to November, the script, at least in terms of precipitation, uh, flips a little bit. November wasn't dry sort of came in at uh, sort of average-ish. Both Arizona was 66 out of 121 and, and um, New Mexico was slightly, uh, slightly wetter at 80th out of 121. Temperature was sort of in the middle as, as, as well. Yeah. And then yeah. if you fast forward to December, it's been, we haven't actually had any precipitation for December yet. We're only third way through it. Yeah, yep. it's only 10, 10 days yep. into it. But yep. that sort of takes us, that to takes now. us to where we are right yeah. now. So yep. pretty wet. October, um, eh, you not know, bad. I mean, really, November not, was not bad. No, you know, it's funny because I, I think that I had all these crazy false expectations because I, for some reason, um, have got it in my mind that winter weather starts around Thanksgiving, we click over, and then it starts getting wet. And if you go back through the data, that's not true. that's not true at all. I've sort of made up that narrative in my head. I think that we are a little bit distracted by the weather of the last two weeks or so because they've they've played out a little counter to expectations. And so, but I guess I would argue is that everything is playing out perfectly within reason of what you'd expect with an El Nino of this strength at this point. When we're thinking about winter, does it make sense at all to like break these up into into distinct months? Because in my my head, it was always the the cool season precipitation was always sort of November, December, January, and, and February, and, and, and March too. October, as I think we've talked about for the last couple of months, you know, we talked about it coming in September when we were tailing monsoon. We talked about it last month. It's a weird month, yeah. right? It's a transition month. And we weren't sure how things were going to play with El Nino this year. Um, and October turned out to be quite wet, even with, you know, with your rankings that you saw, they're really quite wet. And for a bunch of really kind of interesting reasons, um, some of them El Nino related, some of them tropical storm El Nino related and, and so on and so forth. So it's kind of a toss up month. Sometimes it can, you can have the early winter activity come in there. Sometimes you have the tropical storm. Sometimes most of the time it's nothing. Right. So this, this is where it kind of stands out. And then I it's a it's, high variability. Month. It's a super high variability. Month. And, and November is as well, you know, and so it's, it's, you're transitioning here. November is still really early for winter storms, quite honestly, for this far south in latitude. Right. And if you, if you look to, to sort of climatology and you look at the Pacific Northwest, the, the wet month for the Pacific Northwest is one of its wet climatological periods is November. And it's because the polar jet is now starting to push south. Right. And um, you'll, it has this kind of weird double peak where it then climatologically it'll push south of the Pacific Northwest. And then as it retreats during the spring, it will push back again. So they get sort of a double pump on um, that kind of activity. Quite honestly, you, you look at November, we squeaked out a couple of events and we came in real close to average. Some spots were a, um, a little bit below average. And if you slice it finer and finer, if you look at like the two week anomaly or below, it's really below average, but you know, that's a super noisy time scale to be looking at that. So November is also a period where the the tropical Eastern Pacific rather is waning in terms of hurricane tropical storm. Activity. Yeah. Most of the time we're done yeah. <laughs> most of the time, except for this year. Yeah. So this year, so we, we had 18, it was very active as we, as we've Super, talked about yep. mm-hmm. um, before it was, it was, it was a very active season and record breaking in a lot of respects. So we had a very active season in the East Eastern North Pacific. Yeah. Uh, so this is the area sort of right off the central America and up, up North to Baja, California, and, and southern parts of California. 18 named storms. In November, we had two. Actually, at the tail end of Tail November. end. I mean, this is where on Thanksgiving... Yeah. Yeah. Rick. Yeah. Tropical yeah. storm Rick. Yeah. It wasn't a hurricane. 
No, it wasn't right. You know, Rick is kind of one of those names. Like, it doesn't deserve. It. Well, Rick doesn't deserve to be do you, like a media. You know, it, it kind of. Sorry, Rick. Do you remember? Sorry for all those. You know what? Out unfortunately, there. is it, it reminds me of Rick Astley. And um, <laughs> do you remember getting Rick? The idea of getting Rick rolled is that people would send you a link to Rick Astley's uh, "Never Gonna Let You Go." And unfortunately, <laughs> Tropical awesome. Storm Rick got um, associated with with Rick Astley. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Which, thankfully, it wasn't. I don't think it was destructive. You could see actually Rick Astley's head on satellite images sort of floating around. So, so meteorologists, um, how is it? It got a little humor? punchy by the end of November. They really weren't all that menacing um, by the end of the So the Rick, Rick came in at, it was in, it was in the named tropical storm category between November 18th and 22nd. And then mm-hmm. the final Thought we were done, one, yeah, right? The final one. Season's over, right? Yeah, but it was a major hurricane. So yeah. major hurricane is category three or greater. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sandra. Yes. You know, which has a dignified name. It does. Sorry. I, I took, I was, I was very respectful of, of Sandra. Absolutely. And that, and that came in at uh, November 23rd uh, to November 28th. But uh, just to talk a little bit about October, there was three. We apologize too to any Rick's listening. <laughs> I did. I, okay. You already did. I did. Okay. I apologize. Okay, thank you. Times. Sorry, Thanks. Rick. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, Rick. <laughs> uh, so October had three. So normally you were saying that, um, so October can be a pretty high variable month in part because there can be these large events that swamp the sort of precipitation record with, you know, two or three days of uh, very heavy precipitation. Yeah. So you yeah. can get months, monthly totals that sort of vary depending on whether or not you have one or, or zero or even more, more than one. Mm-hmm. This year we had, we had three, none, none of those, uh, not all of those impacted Arizona and New Mexico, obviously in terms of precipitation, but just in terms of the activity in the East Pacific, uh, it's, it's noteworthy. What I thought was really interesting about with Sandra too is, as you mentioned, it was a Category Four, and its central uh, minimum pressure is 935 millibars, which is screaming low. I mean that that's pretty impressive to do. It's that's impressive to do in the middle of the season, um, let alone to, like at the very tail end of it. So that that was that was pretty interesting. Yeah, and this that. is one that recurved as they tend to do in the later part of the hurricane season. This one recurved up north and eastward, sort of dying or or becoming a tropical storm around the tip of Cabo San Lucas. Yeah, and I, I think it actually did feed into a subtropical plume of moisture that ended up crossing Mexico and then crossed into the southern Great Plains in Texas again, which is which has received a lot of that tropical moisture sort of early in the season. Okay, so offline you were talking about how November wasn't so wasn't wasn't bland. There was a lot going on atmospherically. You know, it's it's this thing about like what it's always about what happened in your backyard. Southern Arizona, it was pretty quiet, quite honestly. I think a lot of the weather could be characterized as, especially the second half of the month, was that it dried out, the dew points crashed, and the temps sort of warmed up subtly, and we had quite a few above average days, and we had these enormous diurnal temperature swings um, where we were, you know, dropping close to freezing, if not below freezing, and then warming up during the day. So it was like sort of classic desert weather here. But other parts of the region picked up a couple more precip events. Some were heavier than others. And we've had a bit of a warming trend over the last two weeks. So I, it doesn't stand out as either being exceptionally anything, quite honestly, in my mind. So yeah, it just is sort of, it's there. So the last 30 days precipitation shows uh, above average precipitation for most of the Pacific Northwest, extending over to Montana. Basically, the, the sort of hinge between that and dry is, what, what's that? Is that uh, California? Yeah, it's about Northern California. And again, just remember, this is the last 30 days. So this is... 10 days yeah, of, 10 days of dry very of, 10 days of December and the dry half of November right because the events in November were early and the last event 
in November of consequence was right around the 15th, 16th, which was actually, it wasn't, it wasn't too chat. It was a super cold right. storm that actually put snow down in um, some valley locations across the Southwest. But we look at this 30 day plot and you and I are talking, it looks like if you were to pick that out of a pile of any other preset maps, you go, oh man, that's a La Nina, right? I mean, so th- I think that that's where we're a little bit like now, like, uh-oh, what's what's going on? We aren't. Yeah. Um, but if, I think the temptation is, is to say. Looking at it in terms of climatologically and dynamically, what yeah. you were saying a minute ago about the jet track tends to be over that Pacific Northwest at this time anyway. It's climatologically there. Yeah. So you <clears throat> kind of would expect. I think it has more to do with when you carve the time scale down that's, I mean, even quite honestly with 30 day moving window, you can find periods in there that look like anything. Right. right. And I think that that's kind of what we're seeing here. And if you back up and as we, we kind of talk more broadly, El Nino has been cranking. It's atmospheric signal has been very, very strong. It has had a couple of hiccups um, with some subseasonal variability, which you totally expect mm-hmm. even during the, the bomber El Nino's. But the jet stream pattern has had, a, has had a split in it, has had an active northern jet stream. It's had an active subtropical jet stream. And at the weather time scale, that thing is going to flop around and right. it's going um, to split apart. It's going to come back together. It's going to be impacted by other weather scale modes of variability across the whole planet. And so, yeah, at, at this time scale for these last 30 days, it shook out with this, this um, pattern right here. But again, it's like, you know, we, oh, we had our, our, our hour long analogy session prior to this, we'd come up with, I think, 14 different kinds of analogies. We put it through the analogizer. We put it through the analogizer, which was software was totally worth the $8,000 we paid for it. <laughs> but I think that you can pick any analogy you want. I think I threw out the idea of like, at that time scale, you're looking at a couple of plays in a football game rather than the score at halftime or the score at the end of the game. And so it's, it's we shouldn't get distracted by this scale. You know, this conversation is about evaluating the El Nino imprint from the first part of the winter season, right? Yeah, it's so right. if you just looked yep. at it from the last thirty days, you'd be yeah. like, "What the? Yeah, this like, isn't El Nino. Oh, you guys don't know what the hell you're talking about, right? Exactly, exactly. You're like, oh, I had a feeling this thing was going to fall apart, and, we, and that's right. That's, that's which we bring up because there is that narrative, yeah. going around. It's I mean, a it's a temptation, and it's a temptation I have had too. Of like, again, it's like, oh. When's it going to show up? When's it going to show up? When's it going to show up? And it's like, well, it's been here and it's been doing its, it's again, El Nino is a climate phenomenon with an impact on weather variability. So it's, it's really then it's tallying up how many times the weather patterns fit together and accumulate into an El Nino teleconnection that is totaled up at the end of the season. And so there've been hints of very El Nino-ish, what we'd consider El Nino-ish sort of weather patterns. And there's been hints of like, oh, the crazy weather pattern that you get in, in any. And there's been evidence I think not just hints, but evidence in the tropical storm uh, and the hurricane frequency in the oh, absolutely, uh, yeah, East Pacific, yeah, and obviously, yeah. I think this this conversation gets a little bit confusing at times because we we talk about two different things that are that are related but aren't the same thing. Uh, on on the one hand, El Nino is an expression in the tropical Pacific Ocean, right? So the surface sea surface temperatures, the wind speeds, or however other some other metrics used, yep. For the most part, not wind speeds, but uh, um, well, part of shear and yeah. and yeah, it's like an environment. It's like you know fertile ground for the the emergence and and um, frequency of them. So it becomes then then it's you're thinking more climatologically at that point. And that is definitively going on. The El Nino is definitively here. It's been here for a while. We all know that. We've talked about yep. this. And then of course you have the secondary impacts of that. It's how that is influencing the global atmospheric patterns, and in ways that manifest in the patterns of precipitation and temperature. Yep. 
and there is sort of a distilling that goes that goes on. That's right, and and it's and that pattern changes through northern hemisphere winter. And you know, I think we talked about last time that there are already very very distinct El Nino-like impacts emerging in other parts of the world. Um, if we, we look in the far west Pacific with the drought signals emerging there and right. the, the fires in Indonesia, that's very very clear. The Caribbean had widespread drought, which yep. is an El Nino signal. Exactly. South America has had some flooding events that yeah. you'd expect to see with this. So, yeah, it's all it's and again, it's just like okay, now we're like waiting for and I, again, I think it still is that temptation. We expect the gods El Nino to literally like crash ashore, stomp around. So the analogy that I gave was that this is for all you football fans out there. This was and I'm not a Patriots fan. <laughs> but I'm going to use the Patriots. There are Patriots fans <laughs> listening to this podcast. I know that. I know. Well, they, you know, they've, they've, they can gloat. Ugh, they don't okay. need, they don't need to pick on me because they can gloat, but you they know, still it's sort will, of like the New England Patriots last year, right? Through the first four games on the fourth game, they got walloped. I forgot even by who, but it wasn't of a quality team to their caliber. And you know, the narrative was what happened to the Patriots. Tom Brady's on his way out. This is the beginning of the end, right? And yep. of course, yeah. you know, that was a quarter of the season through. I, it's, it's a perfect analogy. Yeah. And then of course they go on, they steamroll the rest of the league for the most part. I mean, they had losses, so they had periods of yeah. uh, where, where the expectation wasn't met, but you know, at the end of the day, they won the Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. Barely. I must, I might have <laughs> barely. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and they probably shouldn't have won the Super Bowl. We won't oh, get into this. Oh, you just, yeah. <laughs> there you go. We lost a third of our, of our uh, podcast listeners. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, to, I mean, to your point, I think it's a great analogy. And I think that um, we can't call it. We can't call it either way yet. You know, we're just on the cusp too. So it, I think the other point too is, is that November for the Southwest for an El Nino event is a noisy time of year to have high expectations. Right. It's too early, quite right. honestly. And it's, and even climatologically, our sort of core of when we'd see a storm track shift in any given year or actually experience that is really January, February, March. Right. This is calm down. I'm just telling myself, yeah, take a deep breath. This is good because you always, you always get hyper about, you know, when the monsoon comes in the, you know, oh my God, I get crazy. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. We do want to have this rush to, to ju- judgment, I think. Yeah. And so I'm so up and down, man. I'm very emotional <laughs> about this stuff. No, but you've yeah. been bullish on the impacts of this for the El Nino impacts and precipitation for a while. And I think, um, yeah. this isn't changing any of your minds. No, it's not. <laughs> okay. So you have multiple minds. <laughs> I, do, I do now. Like, and now that we get in, you know, and again, I think it's time to talk myself off a ledge. Cause I've been watching the, the models, the, the forecast models and, and watching them. And this is, a, unfortunately you can take climate forecast system models, which are seasonal climate forecast models, and you can update them. You can refresh your browser several times a day. That is the worst thing to give to somebody like me is the ability to watch climate timescale stuff. Do they change Oh my much? God, they change crazy. Yeah, because it's so noisy. And so you can say, and you can do this with all the weather forecasts. And so one of the things that's... That's not good that they change that much. Well, they... No, that makes it, sense it, that they it's do, totally, Yeah, it's yeah. not good. And it basically says... That's why you use it, it ensembles. It says they're not good, yeah. right? Well, exactly. That's why you use ensembles. And you don't... And you don't... Because um, there's an element of stochasticity. It, well, right. Because they're, yeah, they're basically taking these changing initial conditions and then you know, basically doing a 700 hour forecast on them out, out to months. And so, you know, they've been all over, but there, there's been a, a really, a, a solid above average precip signal for Southern California and Arizona and the whole Southern third that has been pretty consistent, pretty consistent. One of the things though you've seen is that February and March, 
do look like the most consistently above average periods of the whole winter. January has been a little bit in play and I don't know how much to believe it because I think it is struggling a little bit with other stuff going on. It does not in any way right now suggest dry conditions that suggest average to maybe just a little bit above average, but get I'll, I'll, I'll refresh it two more times today and see where January comes out. Yeah, it's it's really it's not healthy. It's not healthy in any way. So we started this by saying that the ONI monthly value has peaked. Not peaked, sorry. It That's probably has word. peaked, quite honestly. Well, right. That's what some of the ENSO forecast models are suggesting. And, and this is this is when it peaks yeah. chronologically. You'd expect but it, it to. If you look at the two the, the other two events, the other two super El Ninos, mm-hmm. the eighty two, eighty three and ninety seven, ninety eight, um, they actually peaked in uh december and january yeah i can't remember which one was which yeah well that that, i mean that's fair and if it's close yeah if it peaks it may not peak either too because if there's a there's a a great supply of warm water still in the east pacific uh you know there's still quite a bit in play you know what's been really interesting too is as i refresh my browser 16 times a day do you do any work? I don't really. I actually, <laughs> I think I get paid for this. And maybe now as people realize this, this is what I do for a living, they, there might be some questions. My next annual performance review, but the, um, the, the plume models, right? So the, again, it's that oceanic Nino index. It's that Nino 3.4 values. When we take them out through the spring and the summer, do you remember we were like talking about, oh, uh, El Nino or mm-hmm. La Nina is coming and stuff like that. They don't show that anymore. Which is, I think it's this thing of like, we can't trust them beyond a couple of months anyways. They've really sort of dragged us back and forth with like crashing into La Nina in the late spring, like the 97, 98 event. Now they're not really suggesting that. that. They're not really. They actually, several of the models and some of the ensembles by the summer are at um, weak El Nino conditions still. Hmm. Like they've just sort of plateaued. I have no idea. It's too early to call it. So the... CFS version two forecast of, of Nino's 3.4 region has for the June, July, and August period still a, the average of their uh, ensemble is still a weak El Nino. Yeah. But it was interesting that the 82 and 83, 97, 98 events both rapidly went into a La Nina event. I don't think the 82, 83 event did. Did, did it, it not? They were really different. The 97, 98 event had this, it surprised everybody of what I've read was that when it crashed into La Nina conditions in in the spring, it was the transition was way quicker than any anybody thought, and I think the eighty two eighty three event was. I don't even think it did crash into La Nina post that event. I don't have that data right in front of me, but I think it was a completely different sort of like look to it. Oh wait, I plotted it up. Oh, did you? <laughs> you actually had the data in front of you. <laughs> yeah, the eighty two eighty three event. You're right. You're right. Did not go. Oh, so what is that? Like by late fall, it looks like it. It crossed the negative point five. Yeah, yeah, threshold. And, right. But the the ninety seven ninety eight event did descend into an, a relatively strong La Nina. Oh, it, was, it was. I mean, if you look at from its peak to its its trough in in uh, ninety eight ninety nine, I mean, it it it's like three or three and a half unit ONI units. I mean, right. that's a huge a huge shift from one to the other. So, would there be any sort of physical explanation for why the system would flip? So, not that I know of. I mean, everything I've read, I think, and I think that this is where. It's a predictability element that I, I still think is, it's not real clear. Again, I think it's it's this, like, at what time scale are the models confident? And right. at what times of the year are they confident? And it, it, I mean, maybe the signal is so robust right now. Maybe it's hard to know what the transition looks like. Right. So, Klaus, I, yeah, I don't really know. So I, I did, I went to uh, a blog, not a blog, but um, uh, an, an update of Klaus Walter's ENSO index called the Multivariate ENSO Index, MEI. 
and he um, it measures it in a slightly different way. Um, but he he picked out six analogs, and of course the eighty two, eighty three, and ninety seven, ninety eight were the two most yeah. re resembling. But the of the other four, all of those events at one point in the next year went into a La Nina event. Did they? Okay, they all, so just they by all, counts, but it, yeah, yeah. But it, yeah. Again, it's it's a it's sort of a sample size of very very small numbers. It's very difficult for an event of this magnitude, from my understanding of sort of the dynamics of it, is is that you know one of the the working hypotheses of how an El Nino works is is that you you build up a bunch of um, heat in the West Pacific. And then it invariably creates a feedback process where it sort of moves itself to these Kelvin waves to the East Pacific. And then you actually have below average temps in the West Pacific. And then that heat is then exhausted to the Northern and Southern hemisphere. And then that then sets in the positive feedback of turning you towards a enhanced Easterlies and then a La Nina event. Right. So it's this, what they call the recharge oscillator theory with this. So it's, it'd be difficult, I think, and I'm looking at some of these plots here, and I think there are very few analogs where you don't have some kind of rebound at some point right. short thereafter where you do end up having a La Nina-ish signal. But again, it's the magnitude. I mean, it will be something of the 98-98. See, the 98 La Nina dragged on for multiple years, you know, really was a 98-99-99-2000 um, uh, La Nina. Which... Kind of kicked off the, yeah, the this, drought. Yeah, it which, killed a couple of winters there right. for precip in the southwest. Eighty two, eighty three. The the rebound La Nina event was it wasn't real bomber. It wasn't a real huge magnitude. And this is also where decadal variability comes into play. And is that part of this puzzle of does that have right. somehow modulate this sort of back and forth between the the frequency of El Nino and La Nina going forward? So and that is just way too early to tell. And that's why it's going to be super interesting to watch this thing play out for the next couple of months and then see what spring does right. and then so on and so forth. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the forecast models for the for precipitation in, in the U.S., particularly looking at at the moment. And they're bullish basically throughout, throughout the winter. Uh, but December of the following five months, of December, January, February, March, and April, it, it's the only one that isn't a wet signal for Arizona and actually much of the, much of the West, excuse me, much of California, and um, and uh, the Rocky Mountain region and, and south of that. Now, as we're sort of on the precipice of this thing, I think, we're, I mean, we're in it, but I think, you know, as this, this the winter season really starts to kick up, from north to south, California ends up going wet in these modeling realizations as we, as we look at them. I mean, they just, they're really consistently saying that California's going to get beat up pretty bad. And then there's sort of a secondary maxima and, and they're Arizona. getting hit as we speak, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As some of the the Pacific Northwest storms sort of drag a little bit south, they're they're doing quite well. They're not. I mean, their November was right averageish, below averageish. It was a little bit cooler than average. Their snowpack is um, not very good. But again, it's it's very early, um, very early. So I'm a user of climate information. I, I I admit, and so I had to make a decision on a ski. I go to a, take a ski trip. I know. Day, yeah, you know? yeah. And so the the two choices or Calgary. Okay. And then so, somewhere not Calgary. Calgary really? Calgary. I've never yeah. been to Calgary. Never, and you'd go there during an El Nino year? Well, this so, is your point, right? So, this so is your it, point. Calgary. Yeah, this is my point. Okay. Cause Calgary was picked last year because we hadn't been, you know, we've been to Utah and Colorado yeah, and right. even Mount Lemon, which by the way is phenomenal ski. Did you, the chalet just, there just, is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, exactly. Did Mount, you do the double Mount Lemon for those that don't know is the, the ski mountain on the top of, uh, Mount Lemon here in Tucson. Right. It is the furthest southernmost ski area in yeah. the, in the U S. <laughs> but you know that I learned how to ski on uh, trash hills in Michigan. 
I mean, that was where this is probably better than that. I I don't know. I've, I've, I've seen both. They're, they're comparable. So, so my decision was Calgary or somewhere else. And I was using like these, these, uh, forecast maps to Mm -hmm. convince people that maybe we ought to like go to Tahoe, for example. Ooh. I know these are these are these tough. Are, de- yeah. These are tough decisions. It's the only. It's one of the few vacations so you that I take. Should have had one of those um, senior class projects do your your trip advisor for you well, using El Nino composites. Right. So the models are still very bullish on um, precipitation, uh, weather conditions for much of the West, uh, California as well. And um, there's you know what, what if we had to like put a wrap a bow on this, on this podcast. Like one of the things that we're trying to drive home is that periods of dry conditions within the next three or four months is, is not going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. Surprising. So, uh, so if we're, you know, we'll come back at mid January end January and <laughs> this warm weather continues, I will be, I'll be pretty itchy, but at the same time, you know, we have rallies. And if you look at the past couple of big events, the big rallies in precip in the Southwest, occurred in February, March. And it's like, they almost did like 80% of the precipitation for the winters um, fell in that um, very, very short period of time. It'd be more fun if it was a little more even um, through this winter, but that's very possible. So then we'd have to switch our analogy. It wouldn't be the, the 2014 Patriots. It would be somebody like, when did the Steelers beat Arizona? Because the Steelers that year, I believe, were... A, like an average team with five games to go. And then and they then ran they, the yeah, table. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's, it's so, you know, it's frustrating to watch a team, you know, drag you around like that. Cause, cause you get to the end and you're like, all right, it's make it or break it. And you've got to, you've got to win every game to, to make up. But unfortunately the way that the El Nino pattern plays out precipitation wise is that it often is, and we've looked at some of these plots, it's backloaded, right? I mean, like the rallies happen, really late in the season and then they push you up over the top and sometimes they go into april right which is like we don't even know what a wet april looks like in arizona anymore at least i you know in the 15 years i've been here we haven't seen very many of them because we've very very tough to do anymore so yeah we can get later we can even get through january and this thing may still look like it you know it hasn't been doing a lot but it still doesn't mean it's it's off right um, no it's on it's in full swing it's on it's on yeah it's on all right well, um, I think we just wasted uh, 40 minutes of people's time. <laughs> <It's> pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> no, and thanks everybody for uh, listening. It's actually one of the, the high points of my month. Same, same my month. here. <laughs> Funnest thing I get to do all month. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll see everybody in the new year. All right. Thanks a lot, Mike. See you, Zach. The Southwest Climate Podcast is a production of Climus, which is part of NOAA's Regional Integrated Science and Assessment Program and is housed at the University of Arizona Institute of the Environment. Mike Crimmins is a principal investigator with Clemus, a professor of soil, water, and environmental science in the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, and climate extension specialist with the University of Arizona Cooperative Extension. Zach Guido is a research scientist with the Institute of the Environment and UA program manager of the International Research and Applications Program. The podcast is edited and produced by Ben McMahon, research outreach and assessment specialist with Clemus. Do you do any work? I don't really. I actually, I think I get paid for this. And maybe now, as people realize this is what I do for a living, there might be some questions.